Welcome back to Tailgate Till May. I'm your host, Stephen Gorgie, and I'm joined for another episode by Brian Kaufman. Today, we're breaking down the national championship game in all its aftermath after a dominating Georgia victory over the TCU Horn Frogs, 65-7. to Unreal, Brian. How are you? I'm doing great, man. Shoot. You know, hindsight's 2020. Should we have seen this coming? You know, we talked in the preview, and I... I was saying that I was really strongly considering TCU in the points. I'm sure glad I sat out from picking a side, but man, it looked like two different tiers of college football out there. So after two phenomenal, phenomenal semifinals, maybe we should have seen this coming. Brian, we were really dancing around it in that preview episode, right? Dancing and dancing and dancing. We (laughs) both had some plays we liked, both like a lot of points in the game. seemed like we were both thinking, okay, can we – pick TCU I don't know Georgia I mean Georgia's done nothing to to lose our trust but TCU they've just done it all year and I'm I'm really proud of both of us that we couldn't quite get there with that and ultimately make the TCU pick I did not put any bet on on TCU I did not put any spread bet down did you no no spread bet no spread bet all right good so I'm proud that we we didn't get there but you know I got to say, we weren't alone. We we weren't the only ones that were talking ourselves into that team. And we're going to get into all of that. But before we do, just a reminder, you can find the show on Apple Podcasts, Google, you name it. If you like the show, we'd love if you subscribe and leave us a five-star review. You can also follow me on Twitter at Gorgon Sports. We're transitioning hard into college basketball season right now. A lot of college basketball picks going up. Four and eight right now in 2023. Trying to continue to dig my way out. Had a little bit of a rebound after a rough start, but had a really, really nice championship Monday going six of seven on my bets. Want to definitely get into that a little bit there. Boy, (laughs) was feeling good, especially with the Max Duggan, Stetson Bennett rushing touchdowns, both uh, coming through in the first quarter. I also had parlayed those. I did not post that as a bet, but I did parlay them just for for myself. So I was feeling pretty good about a quarter into that game, Brian. Yeah. Lad McConkey over receiving yards. Also first quarter. I mean, I, I don't know that anybody's gotten off to such a hot start from a prop bet perspective ever. Certainly nobody I know. So you deserve praise for that one, man. I mean, just to, to bet both quarterbacks to score and to hit it within the first few minutes of the game. Uh, that's when, that's when we should have known. You were on it. That's when I knew that the over was in good shape because I know we agreed on that. Uh, and and good job by us. You know, I took my took my win on that. So wow, an impressive performance on your part. Well, thank you, thank you. But it pales in comparison to what the Georgia Bulldogs did to TCU. Sixty-five to seven, the final score, the largest margin of victory in the championship era, which encompasses the BCS and the College Football Playoff. Largest margin of victory since USC dominated Oklahoma 55-19 in the Orange Bowl following the 2004 season. The most points ever scored in the championship era. The first team to ever score 60-plus points in the championship era. Brian, there is a website that I like to look at a lot for some advanced analytics uh, day after games. It's called GameOnPaper.com. And for a bunch of these metrics, it provides a percentile in terms of that performance for, you know, essentially reflecting um, what percent of college football performances this falls in. For Georgia, their success rate was in the 99th percentile. 
their EPA per play, which is just a fancy way of saying like value per play or how much do you help your win expectancy each play, 99th percentile. Their EPA per drop back was in the 99th percentile. Their yards per drop back was in the 98th percentile. Their third down success rate was the 96th percentile. Their explosive play rate was the 94th percentile. This was an all-time dominating performance by the Georgia Bulldogs. I like how you put it. It was two different levels of college football that we saw on the field on Monday night. You know, we talked a lot about in our preview show, if Georgia were to win this game, how this two-year run would rank in the history of college football, and it put them in some pretty rarefied air along with the 2011-2012 Alabama teams that won back-to-back titles, and then uh, the Nebraska Tommy Frazier-led team from the 90s, and then a few other programs from the 70s, but really in the the modern era, we're talking about that those Nebraska teams, Alabama, and this Georgia team. We talked about that a lot, but where do you think this championship performance ranks in the in the championship era of all these one-versus-two matchups we've seen? It's the most dominating performance I think I've ever seen. I, I was trying, I was racking my brain, man. And like, uh, we, I talk a lot. I, I won't loop you into it, but I tend to be victim of, of recency bias. And, and I really try hard not to, not to fall into that. They did anything and everything they wanted to do all game. They had one field goal. They had one second half punt and they scored a touchdown on every single other drive that they had the ball throughout the game. It, it was, uh, that's, that's really the only way to put it. it. It was two different leagues that we were watching truly. And, and so, you know, it's, it's a kind of a, a bittersweet ending for TCU and we'll get into how they should feel and how their fan base should feel after such a memorable season. And it sucks, but I don't think it takes away too much. I, what a run they went on, but Georgia is is the most dominant college football team I can remember right now. And I know, you know, Saban's won, what, six with Bama in 12 years or whatever it is. We're not there yet, but, like, the, the path is clear. I mean, there's no reason to believe that can't now be Georgia, which is why I think it's acceptable to talk about those those two groups together. Um, you know, it, it kind of stunk that, I think it was Max Duggan's worst game of the year as a starter, obviously going against the best defense he faced. And it went up against Stenson Bennett's best game. Uh, he he was locked in from the start. And so, man, you wish it was a better game. But if it wasn't going to be a good game, it felt like we were watching a historically good team uh, capping off the undefeated season. Um, and yeah, I, I, I don't hesitate to call it the most dominant team on both sides of the ball that I saw. I think it was very clearly the most dominant performance in any college football championship game, college football playoff championship game that we've seen. The other one that really comes to mind for me was Alabama beating Notre Dame 42 to 14. That's the Manti Teow season for Notre Dame. I mean, that was a destruction. That game was was over from the jump. It kind of it felt very similar to this, but this was at the time where Alabama was not designed to be a team that would score 60 points. So scoring 42 for them in that game, I think is roughly the equivalent of of what Georgia did here. I think you'd have to go all the way back to the BCS, though, in that game. 
to really find something comparable. And, you know, I kind of went down a rabbit hole looking at all these championship games and we, we really have been lucky. We've had a, a nice streak of good national championship games in this college football playoff era. I mean, uh, last year between Georgia and Alabama, that's a given the COVID year. Uh, honestly, that is like all kind of wiped from my mind in some way. I can I can barely tell you anything about that championship game, but it was a Justin Fields, Ohio state team taken on Alabama and they ended up losing by what was it? 18, but um, not a terrible game. LSU Clemson LSU certainly had the, the upper hand in that game throughout Clemson, Georgia before, I mean, Clemson, Alabama before that Clemson won that game 44, 16. And that's the kind of infamous Saban fake field goal game. But that was a game that I actually think was a lot closer. A lot of the advanced metrics day after kind of said, Hey, if you play this game a hundred times, that's not going to happen very often. That was kind of in the one percentile of things. Then before that, of course we had the Tua uh, game, the Georgia Alabama overtime game. So that was a thriller. That was a great one. And then we had back-to-back years of Alabama Clemson in, in absolute thrillers. We had the first one that Alabama won. And then the second one where Clemson won to get their first national championship in since the, since the eighties in the modern era, Dabo's first national title. So we, we've had a lot of good college football playoff national championship games in the BCS era. There were a lot of blowouts, man. I mean, we all remember that Texas-USC Rose Bowl, and that's kind of what sticks out from that era. But I feel like there was a period of time where it was either just Oklahoma or Ohio State playing sacrificial lamb to an SEC team year after year after year. And that's kind of when all of this SEC dominance really got started in earnest. Because like when we were, you know, I would say I kind of really started following national college football closely probably around like probably around 97 98 as a elementary school kid like is when I started to just love the broader sport but around that time it was like Oklahoma was oh always a big deal uh Florida State was among as big a deal as you could get I mean they beat Virginia Tech in a a national championship game that featured Michael Vick so Miami, uh, at the time, a Big East program, um, you know, was there. So it wasn't so SEC dominant until we had this run kind of following the 2005 Rose Bowl, that USC Oklahoma Rose Bowl that followed the 2004 season, where, or I'm sorry, the 2006 Rose Bowl that followed the 2005 season, where you had Florida, LSU, Florida, Alabama, Auburn, Alabama, Alabama win uh, every championship between 2006 and 2012 before the Jameis Winston-led Florida State team in 2013 beat Auburn for a a national title. So I think you really have to go back to the BCS, to that Alabama-Notre Dame game, and then before that, some of those. Florida really took it to Ohio State in 2006, 41-14. to USC took it to Oklahoma 55 19 in 2004. So, yeah, I think it's easily in the top, if not the most dominant one we've seen. It's in the top three to four. And you know what's interesting? I don't have this in front of me, and maybe this can segue into, into our next conversation, but that Notre Dame team 
much like uh, there's not a ton of similarities between that Notre Dame team and this TCU team, but they did both start the season not ranked in the initial AP poll. If I'm not mistaken, I think Notre Dame got into the rankings quickly, um, but they were not ranked in the preseason. If I recall, that was a, a run up into the rankings. And so it's interesting to think about these teams that are, you know, I, I think nobody questioned. They were undefeated. They belonged in that. They 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 earned the spot in that game. TCU earned a spot in the playoff and beat un, undefeated Michigan team to earn a spot in the game. So, um, you know, I it, it it's easy to have hindsight and say maybe another team could have given Georgia a better game on Monday. Um, but I don't think we need revisionist history to say they didn't belong. Just like hey, Notre Dame earned a shot in that game. I mean, is that fair to say? I think so, and I think there's more similarities between those teams than you might than you might have, have realized right off the bat. Just going through their schedule, that Notre Dame team, they beat Purdue twenty to seventeen, beat Michigan thirteen to six, beat Stanford twenty to thirteen in overtime, beat BYU seventeen to fourteen, beat Pittsburgh twenty nine twenty six in three overtimes. <laughs> they were playing some close games, much like these TCU Horn Frogs. But to your broader point, no, I think it is fine to say that TCU had a fantastic season. They earned their way in there and they came up against a, a fantastic team and lost. And I, I was getting pretty fired up. I'm not really one to go on Twitter and fight. I just don't find a lot of value in it, but I will sit in my living room and stew about what people <laughs> were saying. I don't know that there's a lot of value in that either, it's but a healthier it will, way to do it. Yeah, <laughs> it will. That's, that's what I'll tend to do. And I was getting fired up because it's, you know, it's one of these things. Twitter can be awesome on big game days where everybody is kind of coming together, watching the same thing, coalescing around something. But it can also suck when a team is really getting beaten and everybody wants to pile on them. because Everybody's got to have their take. They've got to be the first one to say this team didn't belong. They were frauds. You know what, guys, look, what more do you want TCU to do? They went through their schedule. They went undefeated. They beat everybody they could. They beat Michigan in the semifinal game. Michigan that beat Ohio State in the big house. And if I have to hear one more time, Brian, I've heard so much. You know, I follow the Big Ten, follow the Big Ten closely, right? Love the Big Ten. But there is so much talk about, like, well, Michigan had those two pick sixes. The pick sixes are part of the game. It's part of the game. Those pick sixes don't just magically disappear. It's not like those pick sixes were a fluke. They were bad throws by J.J. McCarthy. The last time I checked, your quarterback has to be able to make throws to advance to a national championship game. So I was getting a little flustered, getting a little riled up about all this TCU doesn't belong. And then along the same lines, this notion of like, well, Michigan should have been there in their place, but they got unlucky with turnovers. It, these weren't fumbles. This wasn't right. Donovan Edwards running 30 yards down the field, clear, uh, clear path to the end zone and get stripped because he's carrying the ball with a broken hand. These were bad throws by a good quarterback who is still a young quarterback who's developing and learning. So TCU belonged. And I, I was getting a little fired up about that. I have no doubt that they would have made J.J. McCarthy look every bit as bad as they made Max Duggan look. He was, He's not ready to go in there and beat 
a Georgia defense, just like he wasn't ready to go in there and beat a TCU defense. And so to me, like, I don't know, this is a bit unfair in hindsight too, but I think we even talked about at the time, like Georgia, Ohio state kind of felt like the national championship game. It kind of felt like no matter who won that first game, that team was going to be able to get it done. And obviously it, you know, we saw what happened the first round of the game. So maybe that's not fair to say, but it, that's, that's not a fun game to play too many, too many. What ifs we have games on the field for a reason and they played out how they did. And TCU got their ass kicked by a far, far superior team on Monday. That's just the the nuts and bolts of it. And by the way, we saw Georgia do something pretty similar to Michigan last year in the Orange Bowl. Now, it wasn't exactly. quite uh, 65 points that they dropped on them, but it was never close. That game was, was never in doubt for one second. So th- that was just a frustrating thing for me. And I get it. Like, I get why if you're a Michigan fan – you would be upset that you lost that game because you ran a Philly special on the goal line when you're supposed to be a power football team. You didn't get it in. You fumbled on the goal line and then your quarterback threw two bad picks. But that is all part of the game. We said, how many times did I say once the season started in the off season, all we talk about is recruiting rankings and scheme and narrative and you know what we expect. When toe meets leather, it's all about execution. It's about blocking and tackling. It's about can this guy get open? It's about can this guy deliver this this throw? And can the guy defending him make the tackle? And that's what this all comes down to. And that's why we love this sport, right? That's why we like watching this thing because all these things matter. So I get it. I get why Michigan fans would be frustrated. I get why they would be kind of grasping on to, to something like those those picks. But like, let's not take it out on TCU. TCU had a fantastic year. They did everything you could ask of them. And uh, they didn't play well. They ran up against a, a juggernaut in Georgia. And uh, they just weren't on the same level. But that, Brian, that kind of brings me to something I want to ask you. TCU clearly wasn't on Georgia's level last night. How far is the rest of the sport away from the Bulldogs right now? Well, I mean, for two straight years, they've proved there's nobody like them. I think that there are, I think there are programs that are close, right? Like, I don't think we can forget that like Alabama is right there. Ohio state is right there. And I, I think it does a disservice to the sport as a whole to just say, it's Georgia and everyone else. I think that they are the clear number one program right now. But I mean, I guess particularly I would keep it to those two programs that like, I know they both need new starting quarterbacks, but if, if Alabama or Ohio state wins a national title next year, we're not, we're not thinking, Oh, Georgia's reign is done or whatever. I think that everybody else is noticeably further back. I think that, that they sort of have separated themselves into that kind of 1A to what is right now Bama and Ohio State's 1B. And then I sort of think, I don't see a ton of other programs that are even in, uh, again, try not to be a prisoner of the moment, but what they've done, and they're still bringing in top three recruiting classes every single year, and uh, stars do matter, you know, they they do. Um, 
And so, you know, they're they're deep. I mean, look at the fourth quarter of Monday's game. A lot of guys played who looked really, really good and are going to play meaningful snaps for that team for many years to come. Um, and so, you know, I think they're the number one program right now. I think there are other programs who are doing something similar, but you can't argue with the results that Georgia's put on paper for back-to-back seasons. You can't do it. So you would not put Ohio State in that class with Alabama and Georgia right now. Why not? No, I I, I put them in that those three in that sort of above. You do else. okay. So you yeah, would yeah, include yeah. Ohio State, okay? Yeah. I mean, I do think there's an argument to make yeah. to make with Ohio would, State, like yeah. they can't go in that class again until they solve their Michigan problem because they do have a Michigan problem right now, and it's something they need to figure out if they want to get out of the big 10 if they want to go i mean they you know it worked out for them this year but it held them out the year before so um i don't know i think that's something ohio state really does need to figure out but the way they played georgia in that semifinal game makes me think that they are one of the small handful of teams who could compete with georgia in the coming years and you know look both those programs both georgia and ohio state they're gonna have quarterback turnover um next season and we'll see how that goes i think ohio state is a program that's a little bit more built around as well alabama but ohio state is a program a little more built around the quarterback and what cj stroud was able to do whereas georgia was not so much built around stetson bennett um although he delivered in in every way possible throughout this season so I think that you're right. It is still a, it's a blue bloods game and the blue bloods are Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio state right now. I don't think Clemson is in that tier any longer. They need to prove it to me that they can get back in that tier. I will laugh in the face of anybody who tries to tell me that Texas A&M is in that group (laughs) because they have recruited well the past couple of years. I I mean, I'm not even going to, to give that the time of day. And I will not give the time of day to anybody who says that Miami is now potentially going to be in that group because they have a very highly rated recruiting class uh, for the class of 2023. It takes more than one good class to make a program. And that's what makes Alabama, Georgia and Ohio state special is they have done it year after year after year after year. And that's why they are where they are right now. But, So I think there are a few programs nipping at their heels. I don't think by any means we're guaranteed or locked into Georgia winning four of the next six national championships or anything like that, considering that we were a 50-yard missed field goal away from them not winning this one. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that's fair. And and, But, you know, like you said, the the toe meets leather and they got it done for two years in a row. You know, you mentioned, I I think – you mentioned, you mentioned Stetson, and I think we need to talk about him. And I think I got to start with a, an apology to the guy because I am guilty, I think, across my sports fandom of maybe making up my mind on people too soon or buying into certain storylines and not giving people or expecting people to not be able to prove me wrong. With Stetson Bennett, up until the very bitter end, I kept waiting for the clunker that never came. And it's it's funny to admit now because the guy is a 
four-time MVP of college football playoff games. I don't know this off the top of my head. I would imagine he's the only person to ever do that. So that's pretty unreal. And and what he did from start to finish last night, um, you know, accounting for six touchdowns, getting the well-deserved curtain call. The the guy's unbelievable. I, I don't think it's debatable. He's one of the great winners in the history of college football. I mean, winners. Like he led those teams when they needed him to championships. So do you think that, that am I alone? Do we, as a, as a college football viewing public, owe Stetson a collective apology? I do. I, I, I think I need to, I mean, I said, and I, you know, I still stand by this. I said, I would take CJ Stroud over Stetson Bennett um, ahead of that semifinal game. And I don't think that's changed anything. I, I don't think that has changed. However, Stetson Bennett shouldn't care that I would still take CJ Stroud because he has accomplished everything there is to accomplish in college football. But there are going to be plenty of people in the NFL who are saying the same thing. So I still kind of stand by that evaluation that CJ Stroud is the better player, is the better quarterback, and he will be the more productive pro than Stetson Bennett, and I think he has an overall higher ceiling. So any chance I can to take a higher ceiling guy, man, this is a terrible apology to Stetson Bennett. But any (laughs) chance I have to take the higher ceiling guy, I want that (laughs) higher ceiling guy. However, Stetson Bennett in a different era in, I would say like maybe, I don't know, the early 90s, he is just, he is a guy that is a legend in the Southeast and the state of Georgia in particular for, for all time. And it's a guy that if you lived in the West coast or big 10 country or the Northeast, like you probably wouldn't have got to see play a whole lot. And, you know, maybe you, you throw on some highlights years later on, on YouTube and you're like, that's what all the fuss was about. This, this was Stetson Bennett, but the guy did everything he could, including making big time throws, including using his legs. He is a really good runner. He 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 is a good runner of the football. Both those quarterbacks are, but, but Stetson in particular, and he was doubted every step of the way. And this is why I find it so funny that there's this big chorus today of stars matter, stars matter. It's all about recruiting rankings. It's all about more talent, which it is. It's a huge part of that. But Stetson Bennett, is the one three-star guy on that team, and he's the leader of that team. So I think more than anything, yeah, this is not as catchy as stars matter, but um, I think that what Georgia has proven is stars matter, but development of those stars and everybody within the program also matters. And that's why Georgia is Georgia right now, and Texas A&M is doing whatever they were doing this holiday season, maybe watching, maybe watching this game on TV, maybe not, who knows, but that is the difference between Georgia and a team like Texas A&M, like Miami, who's starting to recruit at that level is they are not only, they they are not just Kirby smart does not just open up the 24 seven sports composite ranking and say, I want that guy, that guy, that guy, and that guy. They're thoroughly scouting them. They're looking for guys that fit what they need and they're, doing what they need to get them. And then they're developing guys who are maybe a little more under the radar that they, that they take. So um, yes, I think we owe an apology to Stetson Bennett. 
he, no matter what, I think he will not accept it. And he will use that as a chip <laughs> on his shoulder for his NFL career. Cause I was laughing when he was talking about nobody believing in Georgia this season, because I think plenty of people believed in Georgia. Uh, they were not the favorite, but I don't think they were any worse than like the third or fourth, uh, third or fourth odds to win the national championship. So yes, I am sorry, Setson. I, I am sorry for ever doubting you. You have proved that you are a national championship quarterback. You are not a game manager. You are not a ride along guy. You are not just getting the ball in the hands of five-star weapons. You are the leader and leader of that offense on a team where it is an offense first team. I said it before the, the championship. I'll say it even again, um, more strongly after the championship. That is an offense first team right now, Brian. That offense led the way. The defense was great, but it was the offense that won them the game. And Stetson Bennett was the leader on the, of the offense. So kudos to you, Stetson. Yeah, you mentioned his legs. It, that it was so impressive last night. I mean, I know what you know. I I think we hoped to get into more uh, game breakdown than we will, and it's it's kind of pointless to to pinpoint one play. But I just remember in the moment, I think it was already 17-7 or 24-7, but it was third and 10. You remember this? And and TCU had an unblocked blitzer, and Stetson just spun out away and then just got 12 yards. And it was man coverage down the field, but it was it was perfect understanding of what was happening. He shook that guy and without hesitation took off down the field and dove for the first down. And, you know, it was already over, sure. <laughs> but in that moment, I said a few things. It's definitely over. And I think the guy, you mentioned his pro career, like, it was so surefire. He's definitely not going to get drafted before the season. And tonight's not the night to debate his draft prospects, but I think he certainly earned the right to compete in an NFL training camp. And if I was running an NFL franchise, would want that guy in my QB room to compete. So, yep. Uh, hats off, man, because it was a hell of a career. Oh, I have no doubt he is going to be, he'll be on a roster, yeah. whether he's drafted, whether he's undrafted free agent and signs, he, he's going to be on a roster and the way injuries kind of go in the NFL. I would not be shocked at all to see him week 16, 17, 18 next year, getting some snaps somewhere. And you know what? I'm not going to bet against the guy no any more. longer. Like, <laughs> I mean, would you really be shocked if you see him playing for like a four and 11 team that's just trying to, to play out the string and he's running 15 yards into the end zone and uh, finding guys deep. I, I wouldn't, um, I, I think nothing, that was a nothing great, would surprise me. I think that was a really great play you called out because I think it does. It kind of exemplifies what he can do and what he doesn't get enough credit for because there's, there's plenty of players. Like there is a, the quarterback that we root for most closely Talia Tungavailoa. That's something that he can struggle with at, at times is he goes a little too, NFL blitz style, if you will, where he sees a rusher coming, he wants to spin around and kind of go backwards, try to make a play. And sometimes it, it works great and it's a big play. Sometimes it doesn't, right? But Stetson Bennett, very clear in that moment of what he needed to do. He had the athleticism to evade the pass rush, made a quick decision and got where he needed to go. So, you know, I, I think that's just something that it's like he will never get the credit he deserves from that. So we're going to give him that credit here on, on tailgates all May. So once again, kudos to Stetson Bennett, uh, just an unbelievable story 
unbelievable performance over these past two seasons. And I think he really did take it to a new level this year, showing I think there was a, a level of comfort this season where he knew he was the guy. He was comfortable in his own skin. He didn't have JT Daniels looking over his shoulder. And I, it, we kind of forget at this point, as recently as the national championship game last season, there were calls on Twitter during that game for people set with uh, people saying, bring in JT Daniels. Georgia is not going to win this game unless JT Daniels comes in the game. Never mind, JT Daniels did nothing the entire rest of the season, but that was still a sentiment that was out there until Stetson Bennett made a giant throw in the national championship game. And now he is a guy who is, uh, I think he was comfortable this year. He really showed it. And I, I want to just say it one more time. That was an offense first game. They were go- running spread. They were getting it in the hands of their playmakers. I love the strategy to just get Brock Bowers as many touches early as possible in that game. I thought that worked well. I thought that was fantastic. And, and that's a team that I would not, you, you saw, they can win a shootout against Ohio State. They can, uh, when they play Tennessee, and what I thought would be a shootout, they handle them easily. It's not like there's this perception around Georgia that they are 2009 Alabama, where they can only beat you in a 13 to 3 game. And that is so very clearly not the case. And Stetson Bennett is a huge part of why that is not the case. So, um, an unbelievable by- career by him. We apologize to you, Stetson. We will never <laughs> doubt you again. And best of luck to you in the NFL. Brian, any other Georgia-related topics you want to get to before we move on to the TCU side a bit? No, I think that's it. Uh, I Just a phenomenal year from start to finish. There was a clear best team in college football and they won the title on Monday. So kudos to them, and I'm excited to see where the program keeps going. All right, well, I have one more, because as far back as I can remember, (laughs) I have been saying that the two best jobs in the country are Georgia and LSU. As recently as my bachelor party in March of 2018, we had a big group debate about this at, at one of those nights, and I was adamant at the time. And let me remind you, this was mere months after Alabama had beaten Georgia in the national championship game. And I was still getting pushback that Georgia was not one of the top two jobs in the country. I was told Texas was a job better, more coveted than Georgia. Make no mistake now, once and for all, Georgia is one of the two best jobs in the country in perpetuity it is the best location it has the culture it has the want to and now it has two national championships to back that up even further georgia is a program that when you write the book of college football in the next 50 years georgia could look like what alabama and notre dame looked like in the first 50 years or the the first 50 years of the 1900s when college ball was first getting started. That's how good this Georgia job is. And that's what they can do under Kirby smart. But guess what? Even if Kirby smart decided, Hey, I want to go try my hand at the NFL. That job is so good. And he has set it up so well that they'll pull somebody else in. So I just want to take my victory lap back to back national champions. That means it's a damn good job. Texas can't touch that job. 
I got nothing. I can't add anything. This is just the Steven appreciation episode, but you've earned it. The props yesterday calling that. I might be guilty. I might be the unnamed party talking about Texas too. Uh, listen, you nailed it. You nailed it, and you were you were in early. So congrats. All right, that's the Georgia side of things. Let's take a quick break, and then we'll get over to the TCU Horn Frogs and how we evaluate their season. It was a magical one, but it didn't end the way they want to. This is Tailgate till May. All right, Brian, we have to get back into the other side of this game, the sadder side of this game. And that's the TCU Horn Frogs. What a magical season for them in Sonny Dykes' first year. I bet if you asked any TCU fans what any, if you asked a single TCU fan what their expectations were for this season, a year after going five and seven, bringing in a new head coach in Sonny Dykes, I can't imagine that you would have heard anybody say anything much more outrageous than eight and four and make a bowl game. Maybe you get one 10 and two in there. But we got to beat Baylor, go 10 and 2 and beat Baylor, right? I, I think that's about the highest highs that you would have heard from that fan base uh, coming off that five and seven season and the parting of ways with the legendary head coach, Gary Patterson. So, how do you think TCU fans ultimately will remember this season? Will it be the the magic ride to get to the national championship game, or will it be this national championship game beatdown? I think it'll be the ride. I hope it's the ride. I mean, it's, it's, you don't see things like this too frequently. I think it was, it was in ESPN's game trailer was Sonny Dyke saying, you look at teams who play in the national championship game, they generally aren't picked to finish seventh in their conference preseason, right? That doesn't happen. And so it just, they, they weren't, even in the, I mean, they made a huge deal, 200 to one shots. So I think even being there, there is something special about it. And I hope that TCU fans do remember that. Now, this lasting taste will always be kind of the butt of the conversation. So I think TCU fans can say, unbelievable ride, made the Big 12 title game, lost, but remember, beat Michigan, two pick sixes, what an electric semifinal but of course, you know, the national championship game happened. I think and I hope that the 14, 15, 16 weeks that predated yesterday is is what is remembered because I can't imagine we're going to see. I mean, the expanded playoff, I guess, will help the options, uh, the chances. But I can't imagine we're going to see a preseason seventh in a Power Five conference play for a national title more than once every 20 or 30 years and so it is truly remarkable what they did and they deserve to remember it fondly and i hope they will what do you think yeah i think they will i i think you know at a, a school like ohio state a school like alabama i think that loss is all that sticks with you but tcu is not a school that is used to playing on this stage uh on any sort of frequent cadence i mean i think you remember that magic run. You have that, like you said, you have that Michigan win, which I think is huge. You know, even for Georgia fans, I don't know many TCU fans, but I know a lot of Georgia fans uh, living and having lived in Atlanta for a long time. And even when they lost that national championship game in the Mercedes-Benz Dome where Tua came in and, and threw that touchdown, they still talked about that Oklahoma Rose Bowl win 
like it was one of the best games ever. Like it was so much fun. Uh, I knew a few people that actually were in attendance for that game. I know one of those guys has a framed uh, photo uh, from that game. Like that game lived on even for Georgia fans. And I think Georgia fans are now past that point, winning back-to-back national titles where something like that would resonate quite as much. But you, you have to look back and, and think about what Georgia fans had, had seen and, and kind of experienced in their lifetimes as football fans. And that was a really big deal. So I like to think that TCU will appreciate this ride and what they, they went on. I think the other thing they have going for them, honestly, is that they're positioned very well going forward. You know, this was a, typically if a, if a first year head coach comes into a program and wins nine games, expectations are through the roof. If you go on uh, at that school's message board or look on Twitter, it's all speculation about like, well, if he, can, if he can do this in year one, what can he do in years two through four, right? It's all upside. And this is kind of the ultimate version of that. I mean, Sonny Ducks came in just a great fit for that, that school, for that football program, a Texas guy, and he turned them around. He now has some momentum. Yeah, now has a ton of momentum. They're they're getting recruits. They're getting transfers in. And I think there's just a ton of energy around that program where, yes, it feels like this was a magical run, but with the shape that the new Big 12 is taking, it doesn't feel like this is something where, okay, this was great, but we'll only win the we'll only be able to compete for the Big 12 or a, a college ball playoff spot in a 12-team playoff once every 10 to 15 years. This seems like something realistically where they won't win it every year. They won't make the playoff every year, but they can be in the conversation year in and year out. I think you're on it. Yeah, I think you're on it. I mean, I certainly like not, you know, breaking any news here that I I expect them to take what I would call a step back next year, meaning I don't think they're going to play for a national championship. But I think if you, it, right, if you view this sort of as like, let's say they went eight and eight and four, nine and three, then maybe they are looking at taking that next step to like a 10 and two, which I haven't looked at their schedule, but sure, it could be realistic. I mean, they're, they've got to replace their Heisman Trophy finalist quarterback, uh, never easy task to do but like you said there's serious momentum in this program they're set up in the new big 12 and i do expect them to be a player generally in college football going forward and i think that that it's exciting times to be an lsu fan even if it hurts today so let's take a look at that new big 12 for a second do you think tcu truly has the ability to run away from the rest of the pack and establish themselves as the king of that conference where even if they're not winning it every year and not making the playoff every year, they're the favorite three out of four years and they're winning it two out of four years, kind of taking on what that, that Oklahoma role. And I mean, Oklahoma performed way better than that. They would just win it, be a favorite and win it every year. So I don't think anybody is going to do that. But out of all the teams, I think everybody has this excitement right now. Like, that could be us. Oklahoma's going. Texas is going. That could be us. How likely is it that it becomes TCU? 
I think it's as likely as any others, but with Oklahoma and Texas going, there are some pretty damn good football programs arriving and you can't kind of bat your eyelash at Houston and at Cincinnati and at some of these programs that have established themselves as really good football programs year in and year out. And so it's not going to be easy. It is going to be easier with Oklahoma particularly and also Texas on the way out. Um, I think it's, I mean, I'm, I'm excited. We talked about this last time. I'm really excited for the, for the new big 12 as a football conference. I think it's going to be a ton of fun. Uh, you know, a, a lot of good teams that sort of beat up on each other a bit, but I don't think it's realistic for TCU to be in the conversation each year in sort of that top quadrant of that league. And if you're doing that consistently and, and winning it every three or four years, to me, that's a great place to be as a program. And I think them, and I think Cincinnati and Houston, I think Baylor can all like have dreams of doing that. I think that is realistic. I think there's three teams in the new Big 12 that can all kind of play that role. And I, I see them very interchangeably. I think two are the big rivals, TCU and Baylor. I see very little difference between those two programs. We've talked about it before that Baylor, um, Baylor has had success under three different head coaches in a very short period of time. And to me, that tells me there is something inherently valuable in what they have going on there or something inherent that enables them to succeed and compete at the highest level of the sport. I think this run very easily, I mean, Baylor was close to making a similar run last year, right? They weren't, Yeah, they weren't too far off. So those are the two schools that I see with a great chance to do it. And the third school I see is a team that's not yet in the league. It's another Texas school, and that's Houston. And I like Houston for much of the same reason that I like a lot of schools. They have a really fertile recruiting ground with Houston. There is so much talent in Houston. And, Brian, I'm not a Texas guy. You're not a Texas guy either, but but you're going to serve as my Texpert because you spent some time in Texas. I mean, it's a pretty different deal Houston, the University of Houston, is a very different school in terms of geography, in terms of just feel, culture, um, athletics than, let's say, Texas Tech, right? I mean, completely opposite sides of the state. Like, they're in the same state, but they're very different, correct? Correct. You nailed it. Yep. So I think there's a a very good chance for Houston to capitalize on being in that that Houston market and out recruiting a school like Texas Tech because if you are a if you are uh, someone who plays your high school football in Houston you have an affinity for Houston maybe you don't want to go out to West Texas or you don't want to go to one of the two private schools the uh, TCU and Baylor maybe you want to stay right there at home in Houston uh where you're comfortable, there's positives and negatives about staying home for sure. But I think it gives them a, a very, uh, I think it, it gives them something that nobody else in that conference has. Because if you look at that whole conference, there is not a single school in that conference where you can say, this is the number one school in that state. And Houston is not the number one school in the state, but I think there's a chance for them to develop into the number one school in a portion 
of the states. Now, I know A&M is Houston's pretty big A&M country, but I, I still think there's a chance there. Like, and let's be honest about A&M. Yes, Houston area is a pretty, is pretty big A&M country, but A&M is not everybody's cup of tea. Like, I am a guy who, all right, look, I, when I applied to colleges, I only wanted to go to places that were big state schools that w- had warm weather. And so somehow I ended up in Maryland. So I got one of those two. I didn't get really the good sports either. That was my third criteria. I ended up in Maryland. (laughs) (laughs) So, but every other school I applied to Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, Texas, Arizona state. I think that was my whole list there. Right. So I I looked at Texas A&M and as I learned a little bit more about the school, I said, Nope, this is not for me. This is (laughs) for somebody else. And you're not you're not born to be a yell leader, Stephen. I, I was not born to be a yell leader. And my, my <laughs> point being is, no, I, you know, it, it might appeal to some people, didn't appeal to me. It might not appeal to others. And I would be willing to bet that there are high school football players in Houston who would prefer to go and play at Houston than Texas A&M. They have resources there. Uh, Tillman Fertitta, who owns the Houston Rockets, is very invested in that football program. They uh, have high expectations, and I just really like what they have going on there. I don't know if Dana Holgerson is the right coach necessarily to take them to that promised land, but I think when I look at that new Big 12, it's those three Texas teams that I think have the ability to become perennial year-in, year-out contenders for the conference, and I'm really excited for it. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Two quick follow-ups to what you said. One that I'll blow through because the listeners don't care is that our buddy Shane would have been the perfect yell leader and he would have lived and died with Texas A&M football. And I think you would agree with that. The second thing I'd say is, and you make a great point about Houston being a fertile, fertile recruiting ground. What I also think might happen is Houston joining the Big 12 could improve their recruiting elsewhere in Texas too, right? Like where... They those kids have seen Big 12 football their whole life. Those are the teams they know. So as soon as Houston starts facing them, it really opens those doors. They got a commitment, uh, a kid from Temple, a four-star, who I think is a top 100 player in the country, just this week, a safety. And Temple, Texas is like Central Texas, uh, midway between Waco and Austin. And he chose his final two teams, it appears, were Houston and Texas. And he picked Houston. And so I think you're going to see that I'm, he's just one guy. Uh, McCall Harrison pilot is his name, but I think you're going to see that happen more and more where Houston is a realistic landing spot outside of Houston. It, it, you're right. You could build a, a, a contender with just Houston recruits, but if you can round it out with some folks outside the, the, the near area, um, I think they're going to be a real player. So I, I think you make a great point there. No, that's a great point by you too, Brian. That's something I hadn't really thought about is now they can reach beyond just the the Houston area into some of these other areas of the state that do have really good football, uh, do have really good football talent. And maybe they want to get away from home. Maybe Baylor's not right for them and they'd rather go east to Houston, right? Um, so that that's a that's a great point. And I think it's gonna be really interesting to see where this all go goes. My, my I think my main point being is TCU's in a really good spot, but don't be surprised if in three years, this is Baylor. In five years, this is Houston. Because I think they all have the potential 
they all have the potential to do it. Now, one thing I did want to talk about with TCU is, do you get a sense? Did you think it was weird at all that Max Duggan declared for the NFL draft before the CFP semifinal game even? Yeah, I, I, I think, you know, that's interesting. I hadn't thought too much about it, but you don't normally see that, do you? No, you don't. Like from a guy who who's still playing. So I, th- I thought it was kind of, I don't know. I thought it was a little bit weird and I am kind of wondering exactly like, look, if he wants to go take his, take his shot at an NFL career, by all means, go ahead and do it. You do wonder though, with NIL now being something that exists with players coming back to play and having financial incentives to come back. If there wasn't, if it wouldn't have made sense potentially for him to come back for another year. And, uh, you know, I'm sure a a collective associated with TCU could have put together a nice package for him, made it worth his while to spend another year there in Fort Worth, because that changes that team a lot. I'm not super sure about their quarterback depth chart and what that might look like. But look, the guy, the guy was a Heisman trophy finalist. He probably played his two worst games of the season, unfortunately, in the college football playoff. And uh, it's just, it's kind of unfortunate that, you know, I, I have no idea. And I'm not trying to say that the, him making that decision ahead of time had an impact. What I'm more saying is I, it's disappointing that he, and maybe he, I mean, of course he still could evaluate and say, eh, I'm actually coming back, but it would be more exciting for TCU if they could look ahead the next year and say, we have Max Duggan coming back. So that was just something that struck me as I look around kind of like what's going on at the periphery of the program. So, um, but yeah, so they'll have to address that. They'll have to, um, they'll have to address a few things, but they, they have a a good recruiting class coming in. They have some good transfers coming in. And uh, I, I think things are certainly on the up and up for TCU. One final question for you, Brian, about TCU. We talked a bit in the preview episode about how TCU winning this national championship could potentially shift the paradigm for up-and-coming coaches, where it's like, okay, I thought I had to go to a blue blood to win the national championship. Look, TCU just did this. I can go anywhere. I I can make it work, especially with the 12-team playoff. I can make this thing work. Um, Did that beat down kind of beat things right back into place? I think maybe for some and maybe not for others, because I think coaches probably tend to be self-assured a bit, right? And so if all it took was TCU winning that game for us to agree, which I think we would have, that that paradigm shifted, there's a sub-segment of those folks out there who would say, yeah, but like I wouldn't have gotten my ass kicked like that. And then, and so it's, it, it that remains, right? And so, but I think it doesn't take anybody who knows anything about football to know that the talent level gap was quite vast on Monday night and that any of these guys going to these up and coming G5 programs or low level P5 programs are going to suffer from similar talent gaps and likely would face outcomes if they took went on a nice run and, and faced a roster like that yesterday so um I, I, it's a bit of a cop-out answer but i think maybe it should right maybe it was a lovely fairy tale story but you gotta have serious talent there's a reason we talk about blue chip ratio and 
there is a certain parameter of what you need to win a title. Um, but you can get pretty damn close. And maybe that's good enough for some folks. All right, Brian, I want to end with this. The season's over, crown a national champion, which means immediately we need to look ahead to next season. I've already read five way too early top 25 previews. So we're <laughs> going to do the same here. I, I want to play a little game with you. I want you to guess, uh, do some guessing on national championship odds. So I have in front of me the FanDuel's national championship odds for the 2023 season. I'm not going to ask for the the number or anything. I want you to go, I want you to start with number one and tell me who you think is number one. We'll go, we'll go down the list of the top, uh, let's call it top seven because there's a couple tied at, at six there. Go down the top seven, and I want I want to know who you think the favorite to win the 2023 national championship is. I think the favorite is Georgia. Georgia nailed it, plus two fifty. All right, who's next? I I think it immediately gets tough to be honest with you. Like, just because Ohio State played so well, like I think it's Ohio State or Alabama is going to be my guess for two and three. They both have to replace their quarterback. I'll say Ohio State. No, Alabama. Alabama's number two at plus five hundred. Now I'll ask is you this: Ohio State three. Do you do you think Michigan is ahead of Ohio State by any chance? No. Would you think that's feasible? No. Okay, you're right. Correct. Ohio State is number three, plus seven fifty followed by Michigan at plus 900. So that's the top four. And then um, I'll, I'll give you, it, we'll do three more because there's one team alone at number five and then two tied at number six. So I would imagine the next team. All right, let me, just so this isn't the worst podcast ever, I'll, I'll speak out my thoughts rather than sit in silence. Um I, I think USC is probably up there. I think uh, uh, Penn State's probably up there somewhere. I know they're going to have a lot of hype going into the year. If I'll this helps USC. at all, if this helps at all. This number is plus 1,200, 12 to 1. 12 to 1. Yeah, I'll say USC. They got the Heisman Trophy winner back. Nailed it. USC, 12 to 1. And then you got two teams tied for the six best odds at 18 to 1. At 18 to 1. Okay. I think I'm going to cheat a little. I think one got given away on our group text the other day. So I think one of them is Clemson. Correct. And I think I'll, I'll, I'll say, I'll say Penn State. No, Penn State's a little lower, 25 to 1. They're in a group of 25 to 1 teams and includes Notre Dame, Texas, Penn State. They're the three 25 to 1 teams. Huh. It's, a, it's an SEC team. Okay. I'm an SEC team at 18 to 1. 18 to 1. You already LSU. have L LSU. Yes. So that is your top seven Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, USC, Clemson, and LSU as far as the 2023 national championship betting market is concerned. Any surprises for you there? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think 
Clemson's at what did you say? Eighteen to one. Same as LSU. And the and the favorite in the ACC. Favorite in the ACC because Florida State's right behind them at twenty to one. Yeah, I guess I would call that that a surprise. Um, Clemson being number six. Uh, you sort of mentioned earlier in the episode that they kind of got to earn your trust back a little bit. Um, and I guess, I mean, you know, somebody has got to be there in the, in the six to 10 range, but I would call Clemson a surprise. What about you? I don't understand Michigan being behind Ohio state. Honestly, I, I truly don't. Oh, uh, Michigan brings back quarterback, bring back in McCarthy, bring back Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards. Blake Corum announced yesterday that he's coming back to Michigan for a senior season, maybe the uncertainty is around Harbaugh and if he'll take an NFL job. But if I knew Harbaugh was locked and loaded for the 2023 season, I don't see any way that I could justify putting Ohio state ahead of Michigan. I really don't like, I think if I can get, if Harbaugh goes through this whole NFL process and does, and does decide to come back and it's still sitting at nine to one, I think I will take Michigan at nine to one with hopes that, they can make the playoff and I can um, and I can cash it out at some point. Okay. I think that's a fair point. I mean, I certainly considered that when I was talking about Ohio state versus Michigan, like everything you read, and I don't know how well sourced it is with a few articles on the athletic that basically leave me with the impression that like Harbaugh is going to try to leave sort of like every year until he can get an NFL job. And like, he tried to do it last year and it clearly didn't impact the team very much. He lost coordinators from last year. Clearly didn't. They went right back to the playoffs. So I think that's a fair point. If if he's locked in and they bring back all that they do, and I think they're losing a couple of impact defenders, but they lost Aiden Hutchinson last year. They lost some other guys or Jabo last year. Um, you know, I think, I think that's a fair take, but I, and, and, you know, there I go again. Maybe I'm stars mattering a little bit too hard and just assuming that, you know, I think, I mean, Ohio State returns a lot of good players too, but they got beat down by Michigan. So I think that's, I think that's a fair, a fair play by you. Can I put a stake in the ground right now on, on something? Yeah. JJ McCarthy will be the next Stetson Bennett. I don't think that's possible. He's five-star quarterback. He, he is. He's a five-star quarterback, but I feel like he has been, very he's been doubted a lot over this this season like including by me i've called out where i think he has flaws but I, he reminds me a lot of him with the, with the legs uh had made some mistakes early in his career i think he's a guy and you could see development throughout the season too i think he's a guy that keeps getting better and better uh it's it's really the legs honestly for me they i think they do a lot of similar things in the run game and i just think he's a guy where He's going to be here for uh, be at Michigan for a, a long time. And we're going to be going to have to get used to seeing him in big game after big game after big game. And you're hundred percent right. There is a huge difference in the fact that he was a five-star guy, but that's what I think makes him even more likely to continue having success against Ohio state is he has every, he has all the natural ability. He has everything that people scouting football look for. So, okay, maybe the next Stetson Bennett was a, uh, wasn't the best comparison, but I think he is going to be a guy that we, we are going to see for a while. I don't like what we do in college ball right now, where it's like a guy plays as a sophomore and he's pretty good, but not great. And we're like, 
he's done. Throw, get rid of him. I mean, look at Max, Max Duggan, perfect example uh, of a guy who we saw who grew and developed. And, and it's possible you, you aren't a finished product at the end of your sophomore season. So I, I look for JJ McCarthy to continue to improve there. Uh, so yeah, I guess I'm kind of riding the, the Michigan train pretty hard right now. A couple other numbers I wanted to call out Pac 12 teams, the highest Pac 12 team, the, the best, uh, the, the team with the, I never know how to say this, lowest odds, highest odds, best odds, I guess the lowest odds to win the national championship. Oregon, 30 to 1, followed by Washington, 40 to 1, Utah, 50 to 1. Utah's getting Cam Rising back. That's 50 official. To one. 50 to 1 on Utah. So it's juicy. I know. I know it is. And I mean, I was a guy who was pretty in on Utah this season. Uh, Man, oh, man, if it was a 12-team playoff next year, obviously the numbers would change a lot, but I would be all over that. Yeah, I like that one. I I would love to see what his his Heisman odds will be too because even this year when they were a preseason top 10 team – he he had some long shot odds that I think I might have called out on the on yeah, the I, I maybe bet episode. It. I bet it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously it didn't come to fruition, but like that is an experienced quarterback and an offense he's familiar with. Sixty to one. Same as Will Shipley. Same as Will Shipley and Quinshawn Judkins. So he's he's in running back. Oh, me. I would throw sixty to one. Sixty to one. That's not bad. That's interesting. Those Pac-12 teams, man, I got to figure out something to do with those because I think that's a good league. I think those are some good teams. And again, this is not like, I don't think any of those teams are capable of winning the national championship to be perfectly honest, but it's all about if you can get them to the playoff at 60 to one, you have a million options to, to get out of it and, and get out of it profitably. So, um, man, all right, that was fun, fun exercise. I like that. The the one last one I do need to call out is TCU, 60 to 1. Obviously the runner up in this year's championship game, all the way down at 60 to 1. Uh I think it's a fair number. I think they are probably in that Oregon, Washington, Utah range. Is that fair? Yeah. Yeah, I think that tracks. Yeah, I think that makes sense. All right. Brian, football season is over. From start to finish, we did it all. It was a good one. It, it was a lot of fun. I mean, if I, I'm going to put you on the spot here a little bit, but do you have one lasting memory from the season that kind of encapsulates the season for you when you look back at this 2022 college football season? What will you think of? I think I'll think of New Year's Eve. I mean, it's the two games were two of the best semifinal games we've ever seen. We I feel like we've gotten so used to the semifinals kind of being the blowouts. Um, and so to have that, seven hour stretch uh with so many quick strike scoring plays um it it felt like a worthy four team competition that was really really memorable and so ton of memorable moments throughout the season i think i'll i'll remember semifinal saturday for me it's got to be tennessee taking down alabama and knoxville i think that's just that's one of those games one of those times where you realize how special this sport is and 
how much it means to especially long suffering fan bases, such a cathartic moment for the Tennessee fan base for that Tennessee team. Um, so I, I will certainly remember that. I also think it warrants calling out that Apple, that Appalachian state uh, game day was very cool. Very cool for ESPN to go down to Boone, North Carolina to go to an app state football game. I know I kind of butchered saying the full word, so I'll just stick with app state here, uh, but very cool for them to get that win over Texas A&M, then get game day. That's something that app state fans will remember forever. And I think those are two very divergent memories of the season, right? One is a big time sec matchup. And then one is a sunbelt school uh, getting college game day. And I think that is part of why I love this sport so much, much and what makes it so unique is that it has so many varying and different things to offer. We will miss it over the off season, but we won't miss it too much because there will still be plenty of college football talk. College football really is sport at this point that never sleeps. We have the uh, late signing day still coming up. We'll take a look back at kind of a season in review, take a look backwards at some of these teams before we eventually start taking a look forward to the 2023 season. And then we have college hoops. Hoops is getting hot and heavy. A lot going on right now. Mentioned it earlier, but I'm giving out my bets every day. Some good, some not so good, but we're going to dig, dig, dig no matter what. Uh, I love this time of year. It's one of my favorite times of year. February, my most, this is no stats to back this up, but my most profitable month when it comes to college football or college basketball betting because I feel like it just gives you a nice chance to see, okay, we know a little bit about these teams. We've seen them in conference for a month. How much can we take out what we saw in November? Does that really matter? Can we take, you know, the last couple of weeks? And I'm going to be working on a, a Bill Simmons-inspired March Madness gambling manifesto, Brian. This is something okay. that I'm going to be getting ready. I think I'll do it in, like, written form, but we'll definitely have to do a podcast episode on it or at least talk through it in some ways. It's something I've been thinking about for a while. I'm trying to really gear up for March Madness this year. Had some good March Madnesses, had some bad ones. So, Got to put all my learnings in one place, share it with the people. I love this time of year. I can't wait for it. Football's over, but basketball is heating up, and we are always talking football as well. Brian, it has been a pleasure going through this whole season with you, my friend. Uh, looking forward to, to talking to you again soon. Yes, sir. All right. Well, for Brian, I'm Steven. Until next time, keep the grill hot and the cooler cold.